0: Welcome to Speak and Destroy episode 52. Speak and Destroy is a podcast about Metallica and I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is Mark O'Connell of the band Taking Back Sunday. If you're enjoying Speak and Destroy or if this is your first time listening, please the best thing you can do to support the podcast is go into Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and leave a nice little review and a five star rating. Those really help. You can check out The back catalog of episodes featuring in-depth conversations with people like Rob Flynn of Machine Head, M. Shadows of Avenged Sevenfold, Lizzie Hale of Hailstorm, Jamie Josta of Hatebreed, and many more. You can follow Speak and Destroy on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also visit SpeakandDestroy.com. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. Check out other podcasts in the Pop Curse Podcast Network, including No Prize From God, Featuring conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. Mark O'Connell is the drummer for Taking Back Sunday, and he has an And Justice For All tattoo. This was a fun conversation, particularly coming from that drum angle. During the episode, I mentioned a friend of mine, Iron Bob Fouts, somebody I've known since high school. He was the drummer in my old band, Burn It Down. He was the drummer off and on on a couple of records from the band The Gates of Slumber with our old bassist and my dear departed friend Jason McCash. Bob's the guy I'm talking about when I referenced the friend who first pointed out to me uh, certain things about Lars's drumming technique. Unfortunately, Bob passed away in recent weeks. I'd like to dedicate this episode of the podcast to his memory and recommend everyone listening, when you're done, go check out The Gates of Slumber on Spotify. There's not a bad record in the bunch. So here it is my conversation with Mark O'Connell of Taking Back Sunday. This is Speak and Destroy. <laughs>
1: My older brother my my older brother is that type of dude that knows every band before everybody else knows the band so um he was the one that put me on to everything basically that i listened to i listened to a lot of punk rock like uh you know like minor threat and and uh you know all, all, all those punk rock bands from the 80s and the 90s he put me on to but he's also the first person to show me um, Metallica you know like he showed me he, he was he showed me everything
0: what was the uh, first Metallica thing that he put in front of you
1: he he got the tape of Injustice for All and and Blackened Blackened was the first Metallica song that I heard
0: what a great entry point Just so pissed
1: <laughs> yeah and I, I was I was immediately blown away like what the fuck is this you know
0: at what point did you in your life did you know that you wanted to play music to go from just you know being an, an audience member and a passive listener so to speak to someone that wants to participate in the whole culture and be on stage
1: you know i uh, i was spending christmas christmas at my at my aunt's house and um i was you know little kid i was just kind of rum- rummaging through their stuff in their basement through old records and this and that and uh, my cousin had played drums, I guess, you know, like in marching band, and they had a snare drum in the basement. And I asked my aunt, you know, can I take this home with me? I, I, I really I want to play with it. And she said, yeah, sure, take it. And um, it, it, like it, it was, I don't remember not wanting to do what I'm doing now, you know, like it, being a drummer in a rock band. That's I. It was immediate.
0: That's killer. Um, who were some of yeah. the who were some of the uh, earlier drumming influences and what do you think it was about drums that, uh, you know, some people immediately are like, I want to be a lead singer. Some people want to learn how to shred the guitar solo. Like what was it about drums that attracted you and who were some of those drummers? You know,
1: I, I, I think maybe it was just the fact that I I saw that drum that night and I took it home and then that was it. Like I I Mm -hmm. didn't even really think of it, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a thought. It was just like, well, this is who I am now. But I mean, as for drummers, like the first drummers that I, I really loved were Keith Moon and John Bonham.
0: Nice. So where was Metallica in their career when you discovered them? Like you hear the Justice for all tape, you get into the band. What, where were, do you remember kind of what era that was? It was when injustice for all came out. Oh, nice. Okay. So probably 88, 89 in that, in that area somewhere. Yeah. yeah, And you know, the, the reason, like, I
1: didn't see the video right away because my mom, my mom, uh, for whatever reason we were not allowed to have MTV. Actually, I I know that reason. Um, uh, the, do you remember that video, the, the song I touch myself?
0: Yes. Uh, the divinals, I think.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes. I remember I'm watching MTV and that video came on and my mom flipped like, oh god what the (laughs) hell is you know just screaming and mtv was gone um yeah no but yeah i didn't see the video right away and at some point you know we we were allowed to have it back but uh
0: my older brother and i had a had a similar situation where my mom walked into my brother's room and he was listening to prince and the song darling nikki was on she was just like, what the? <laughs> and then, that, tur- that, yeah. tur- that turned into a big argument. And then later, an, a negotiation where my brother was allowed to listen to Prince, but not that song. <laughs>
1: That's just had, amazing. He had to
0: pick up the needle on the record player and skip that song when it was about to come on.
1: You know, one thing that, that now being an adult um, that, that, that blows my mind is that my mom did, didn't care that we listened to Guns and roses Like, Appetite for Destruction was a thing that we were allowed to listen to Loud and clear, and um, now like listening when I listen to Appetite, and I'm like I I can't believe it, man! Like the, it, little kids listening to this shit, it's a, kind of amazing.
0: You know, our parents as they were kind of trying to figure all that stuff out, the arbitrary decisions that would be made. Because yeah, I had a yeah, I had an experience where my my dad and and stepmom who were you know who I was with in my teenage years they pretty much left me alone about music and then one day my stepmom was doing some christmas shopping at one of the record stores in the mall and whoever the clerk was was like yeah so uh what kind of stuff is your stepson into let me let me help you out and she's like oh he wears t-shirts that say like megadeth and overkill and slayer and th- and this <laughs> dipshit at this store like flips out on her and is like oh my gosh ma'am like your stepson's like worshiping the devil he's into drugs he's he's probably like killing cats and like gave her the whole like satanic panic like 80s meltdown and so i came home from school that day and my dad and stepmom who never even came into my bedroom were both in my room and my stepmom's going through my records and tapes, and my dad is looking at all the posters at my wall. I have this vivid memory of him, like, <laughs> like pensively examining this like Exodus poster. And, uh, oh, you know, and of course, I've been programmed by metal in the late '80s to live in fear of your parents, like sending you to be deprogrammed in a camp somewhere. So I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm like, you know, it's a nightmare walking in there. And at the end of that whole big discussion. The agreement was that I would get rid of anything that was satanic, but the amount of homework that they did only went so far as that conversation. It was up to me to tend, then sort of tell them, like, okay, here's the satanic ones, getting rid of them. <laughs> so I'm literally just like... "Which." Possessed do you seven remember church- what what po- you ended up getting having to get rid of i got rid of possessed seven churches because the album cover is just an upside down cross <laughs> and they're local yeah. um i got rid of venom uh any venom record really that i had at the time yeah and then i i somehow got away with getting rid of the um river's edge soundtrack because <laughs> at some point i started river's edge. yeah I, I started i started just like Throwing in some stuff that I didn't really care about anymore. It was like, Oh yeah, this is satanic, right. just to make the stack bigger. But yeah. It ended yeah. up being <laughs> Here you go. very little. Yeah. River's edge. Um, is a fucking killer movie and it had Slayer and fuck, who else was on that? Um, it had a, a handful of metal bands on the soundtrack. I want to say metal church. Maybe I'm um, looking it up right now. Yeah. Hollow Eve, Fate's warning, Slayer, agent orange Burning Spear and a band called The Wipers that I've never heard of. And wow. I and I had all those all those other all the songs that were on there that I wanted were on those bands records. So it was easy to just get rid of that. Right. But yeah. You should check out that movie. It has uh Crispin Glover and Keanu Reeves. And um
1: Really? River's Edge is
0: called? Yeah, it has uh it, it's about metal and murder. <laughs> it's basically That's awesome. Yeah, basically uh um one of the it's about these like teenage headbanger near to wells played by Crispin Glover and Kiana Reeves and Ione Sky um Dennis Hopper's in the movie he's like one of the grown-ups oh wow um and uh yeah one of them kills his girlfriend and then it's just sort of about the aftermath of that of like Crispin Glover wants to like help him cover it up and they should all stick together and then like you know Keanu Reeves is kind of like the hero who's like, you know, obviously thinks it's fucked that their friend strangled his girlfriend to death. Um, but it's just like a cool moody, very of the time, you know, Keanu Reeves and Crispin Glover and leather jackets being metal. Man,
1: I would love to see Crispin Glover in, in that, in a movie that you just, you know, I, I sounds sick.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. I, I definitely recommend it. And the, uh, The I'm trying to remember. I want to say the guy who directed it did more more TV than movies. At least now I think he's. I want to say he directed some Deadwood and some Breaking Bad. Even Um, like he went on. He went on to do some like super legit stuff. But yeah, River's Edge, 1986, I believe. I'll put I'll put some info in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, So, so you hadn't seen the video. You're getting into and justice for all, and then how did it sort of spiderweb for you into, you know, going into the back catalog and checking out other bands in that scene, and you know, were there magazines um, that came into play? Like, what what was your next step forward?
1: So I I always had uh, very big problems with school. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't I couldn't understand anything. Right. So I would have to. I would have to do all this extracurricular work. I had speech and I had, you know, uh you know, you know, I had to, I was the dude that went to all the extra classes. And in high school, I I was the guy that was in the you know, the the um the learning classes. But anyway, when when I was younger to get me to do schoolwork, my mom promised me one tape a week or you know, one tape every two, whatever it was. And um because I like Injustice for All so much, the next album that I went to go get was I, I just I remember like looking through it and I got uh Ride the Lightning. And so that was just how pretty much I, I I loved that band from from day one. And uh like I I still remember putting Ride the Lightning on on my on my jukebox and hearing the guitars in the beginning and being like, yo, this is wrong. This, this is not the band. And then when it kicked in, like, my mind was blown again because <laughs> Fight Fire was fire. Like, I, it was just mind-blowing how fast it was. And, you know, they were just a band that no one had ever done that. And no one still really can compare at all, in my opinion. So that was pretty much how I got all, all the stuff.
0: What was your... Um... First time seeing them live. Um, first
1: time seeing them live. It, it. I wasn't, I was like older. I was probably in my twenties. I was probably like 22, 23, something like that. But i MetLife, met life, i met life, uh, stadium in New Jersey.
0: Nice. Do you remember, do you remember what the bill was?
1: You know what? I, I don't, I don't remember. I went by the, by the time I got there, I was, annihilated (laughs) I actually barely I barely remember the show but that was that was the first time I saw them you know but I did just see them recently at Nassau Coliseum here in Long Island and in in, as I remember it like it was by far the best show that they put on ever
0: they're so good in my in my right right now even in just the last few years they're they're so good
1: I I feel like, you know, because I saw them maybe when Death Magnetic came out, and um, it it was a lot better to me than, than, uh, I don't know, maybe it was just a selection of songs that they picked, but I had a lot more fun.
0: So through the course of doing this podcast for the last couple years, um, I've had Igor Cavalera, uh, Mike Portnoy, uh, you know, a a number of different drummers come on the show. And I love having drummers come on because I love talking about Lars.
1: Yeah. I, yeah. La- Lars. Um, I have so much to say about Lars.
0: <laughs> yeah. I want I basically want to turn you loose and hear your, uh, hear your Lars takes.
1: Well, one, one thing, and, and it, it bothers the hell out of me. Like, but one thing is before taking back Sunday play shows, um, the last band that I put on before we go on is usually 95% of the time Metallica and it, and if we have a friend there or someone else is in the room that's not in the band because no one in the band would ever try to bring this up to me but like they always go oh Lars, you know Lars is the luckiest drummer in the world or Lars sucks I can't believe blah 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 what you know what whatever it is that people have to say about him and and that just gives me, I, I just go right off the bat because I'm like, yo, you, you don't know, you don't know what you're talking about. He's the most underrated drummer in the world, hands down, no question. Like, because you, you know, you're also forgetting, like, you know, these people that say this it's like, are, are you thinking this through? What, what you said? Like, <laughs> if you hopped on, a, if you hopped on drums right now, could you play Fight Fire with Fire all the way through? Could, you could you play Dyer's Eve? Could you play Damage Inc? Could you play one, could like, could you play these songs, you know, that this drummer that you think sucks so bad can play and wrote these, these amazingly popular thrash metal songs? Like, are, you know what I mean? Cause I, I know you couldn't, I, I, I know your ability, like, and this is me being a dick cause you know, like, but this is just what's going on in my head. It's like, man, I, yeah. I know you can't play these songs. Like, so <laughs> why, why are you just shooting this out of uh you know, why is this garbage coming out of your mouth? Because you really don't know what you're talking about.
0: And that's to say nothing of, and I talk about this all the time too, of course, as true fans of this band know how paramount Lars's role has been from the very beginning in literally forming the band and finding the people in it all the way through today. You know, whether it's being the chief kind of archival person that, you know, has the lists of every show they ever played and the set lists and the memorabilia and all that stuff to, of course being the, the only guy that's in the room with James Hetfield when they're writing, who's arranging right, those that. songs to, you know, it's like, uh, Interstand man, arguably their, their biggest song. It's basically one riff the whole way through. It's a Kirk Hammett riff. but It was arranged by Lars. Like he literally was right. like, yeah, take that riff and do it this way and put the little tail here and whatever. And it's like, that's what the guy does, and you can't deny. You know, I'll tell you one of the things that makes my blood boil the most as a fan is when people will mm-hmm. tag me or direct message me or text me, knowing how much I love Metallica, and thinking that I will find it funny. Uh, one of those T-shirts or memes with Cliff that says it should have been Lars,
1: and it, it, that's it, that's horrible. That's it, ho- that's not funny at all
0: no and it pisses me off on a human level first of all secondly as someone who loves comedy and particularly dark comedy it's not particularly clever or funny and lastly no. there's a few things about it that people just don't understand one is that um without lars ulrich the metallica that we know and love and the one that became of a size where most people making that joke were even aware of them was largely due to his input and his creative decisions and his business decisions and so on. And also, there's this fantasy, you know, much like a James Dean or a, or a Jimi Hendrix or, you know, a lot of these figures who were taken from us so early, they didn't get an opportunity to go on and make new choices and make decisions that maybe their fans don't like and change and progress in different ways. And And the thing about Cliff is... You know, not only was he and, and continues to be a big component of the soul of the band, but he was the guy that, you know, was listening to Leonard Skinnard that was, you know, like when I had Michael Alago, the guy who signed them to Electra Records on the show, he was telling me about
1: I, I, I saw I saw that documentary. That's really cool. You had him on the Okay, club.
0: yeah. He was he well, he was telling me about the band coming to Electra for the first time and you know, everybody's getting their armfuls of, of free promos while they're there and he said the first thing cliff asked him for was simon and garfunkel and he was serious you know he's like you got any simon and garfunkel um you know he was a very musical varied uh melodic kind of person and if any you know so when people have this fantasy that if cliff was around the band would be frozen in 1986 and just make master of puppets every week If anything, they would have changed more dramatically, much faster, with Cliff's influence. Uh, Mike, yeah, you know, nobody can say for sure. No, no, no. I, 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 you know, I, I, I never even really
1: thought about it that way. You know what I mean? Like, yeah,
0: I I agree with everything that you
1: said. I, I, and I just, I can't even picture them without Lars. Wait, what'd you say? Right.
0: Well, then there's the Napster thing. That's the other excuse people have for not liking him. And it's like, yeah, he sure was wrong about that, everybody. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 20 uh, years, 20 li- years ago. I when remember
1: <laughs> literally <laughs> when that was happening, I, I, I remember thinking this dude is right. This dude yeah. is right. And everybody's just uh, making him look like an asshole, but he's a hundred percent correct. And then
0: he was, he was. And he they was, had uh, and they had they had people at the time like, you know, since then they they've come out and said like Dr. Dre and some other people that are, you know, quite sizable that behind the scenes would tell them, Yeah, we, we, we love everything you guys are saying and doing, man, keep up the good fight. And then when they were like, well, well, why don't you join us and throw your throw your hat in the ring with us, you know, they were like, Oh no, 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 I can't like you know, like it like they were the ones who put their neck out for it and all the accusations that were like, Well, these greedy rock stars, you know coming after their fans for a couple pennies. It's like, no, they, it was never about money for them. It was about control and presentation of who and who decides when and where and how their stuff is presented, you know? And it was right. Cause the thing that set them off was Napster was playing like an unfinished demo of the song from the mission impossible 2 soundtrack. And that's what they were yeah. initially pissed about. And then the whole thing about suing their fans was, was because Napster did a, well, We're just the platform, like, if you want to tell us everybody who's got your music up on our service, then we can... So they were like, all right, here's the names. And that's where the whole, like, Metallica names the names. But the biggest point that he made, there's an old Charlie Rose episode that I've talked about on the podcast before, where it's him and Chuck D debating about Napster. And one of the most salient points that Lars makes in that hour-long discussion is he says... Um, you know, this whole idea of the greedy rock star or the the greedy record label system that's ripping off the bands. Who do you think is backing all of this Napster bullshit? Like, there's a reason why multi-million dollar investments are being made by these hedge fund people and tech people. And, you know, they're expecting to get a return on their investment. Like, people are going to make money from this. It's the artists who are suffering. You know, it's just the fat cats right. are it's just new fat cats who are an increasingly smaller number you know it's like and yet sure enough all these years later when you see kim.com's mansion (laughs) it's, it's like you know pablo escobar looking like scarface fucking estate it's like hmm how did he make that from free music it's like, right. You know, but anyway, yeah. it's yeah. so, so that, so I feel like all that stuff is kind of the window dressing that gets around the drumming that makes people predisposed to talk shit about his actual performance because they're upset about all these other things, which are a bunch of things that when you boil them down, as I just did fall apart, like they don't pass the smell test. You know, I remember talking yeah. to a friend of mine who, who she doesn't know anything about Metallica and, um, she's big in the uh video game industry and i I remember texting her a few years ago when metallica was playing blizzcon because i didn't know anything about blizzcon and she didn't know anything about metallica and she was like oh that's that band with with the drummer who sued their fans because they hate the internet i was just like let me let me, let me talk to you about this for like five minutes and by and at the end of five minutes she's like oh I had no idea any of that. That makes sense, you know, but it's somehow that's that little bitter perception that gets out there.
1: So, like, I, there, there's another thing that's been on my mind, like, since we started talking about it. Yeah, yeah. Like, to, to, <laughs> to make fills, like, like the fills that he has on Sad True, like, if you see them live, you have, you know, an entire arena or an entire stadium, whatever it is, singing along with that dude's fills. Yep. Like, you can't forget, like that is an incredibly uh, crazy talent to to have. You know what I mean? One hundred percent. Not every drummer can has that. There, there's, you can count them on one hand. Where, where people are, you know, Phil Collins, you know, whoever the fuck. Yeah, and he's that. He's one of those dudes.
0: There are so many metal bands, so many rock bands, you know, across the spectrum of rock music, where <clears throat> you can do a cover of their song and as long as the arrangement is the same the lyrics and vocals are the same the riff is the same it's the song whereas if you're going to cover sad but true you have to do the Lars fills or it's not correct and yeah I mean that's such a testament to what he adds to the band musically that's just so I mean just think about so many classic metal songs that you could get up and play and as long as you have the right tempo you can kind of do whatever you know, and no right. one, no one's going to yeah. be like, oh, the drummer really fucked that song up. Um, but people would be super bummed if you, if you, there are a lot of, most Metallica songs, if you played them and and the fills were different. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, yeah, I would say him, Lombardo, a handful of people, you know, Bill Ward, where it's just like that, their style of playing. And, and, and I, I also often argue that I think the things that are unique about Lars' is feel are very much like Bill Ward on all the early Sabbath stuff. They it's like unorthodox but it's very integral to the sound of that band. You know, the well, like,
1: like you know, Ringo's Ringo Starr, yeah, another another yeah. guy,
0: Charlie Watts, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You know, in my mind a lot of it is that outside stuff, you know, it's, it's Napster, it's it's, uh, you know, painting their fingernails in the 90s. It's whatever all this bullshit people will get hung up on that isn't right. the drumming that has them bag on the drumming. But setting that aside, you know, even, you know, when I had Igor Cavalera on the podcast, he was saying like, you know, Lars isn't like his favorite drummer in terms of of technique or precision, but Lars is 100% essential to that band sound. And it just. Isn't right. the same with somebody else playing those songs. It it sounds different. What do you think it is? Uh, you know, uh, I'm not a drummer. You are. You know, what are some of the kind of drummer specific things that that stand out and that you you enjoy and respond to, and that and that makes what he does special and kind of irreplaceable.
1: Um, th- there there's certain things in his drumming that, like, if you're not listening to exactly what he's doing. it'll you're not gonna you're not gonna hear it but like there's certain hits on the snare drum where he hits the cymbal and the snare drum at the same time in a way that no one else does that and it's it's hard to explain like if we were here if we were sitting in a room together i would i would play you a song and then go there it is there he just Hmm. did it right there yeah and um i i i mean i've stolen that i i since I was a little kid I, I started trying to trying to do that just uh because because of him and also there there's there's way I don't know if it's James Hetfield or Lars but like their their riffs change times time signatures it, you know you know I can't read music and I, I don't really you know know how to explain it but there there's things like midway through a riff, they'll play an extra note and then keep the riff going. And but it will totally, it it will change from like a fast punk beat to where he's hitting the snare on on the downbeats of the songs, but nothing changes. And it, yeah, and it's wild. Do you do you know what I'm talking about? I know about? Like anytime, I know exactly what you're talking about. trying to explain about. it.
0: Okay. I had All a right. I had a, a good friend you know of mine. What I'm a good friend of mine who um, I actually was in bands with, who was a drummer, he pointed out to me years ago, we were driving around listening to Metallica in my car, that, um, you know, I asked him, I was like, so what do you think about Lars's drumming, like, specifically? And he said, well, you know, he's a little behind the beat, but I like it. <laughs> it's like, and I and I never, that was the first time I ever heard that phrase, behind the beat. And then once my ears yeah. started kind of tuning into that, I was like, oh. Yeah. And that's, it's cool. It is different, you know? Yeah. You know, people forget about feel
1: like, you know, they, you know, they see how fast people can do a paradiddle or, or, or whatever, you know, uh, exercise and they'll go, Oh wow. Well, that's amazing. But there's other types of amazing other than how fast you can do a double stroke roll or a paradiddle. You know what I mean? Like it's feel
0: is huge. I mean, Kurt Cobain's I mean, not a good guitar player, but I will take his feel over Ingve Malmsteen, you know, seven days a week. <laughs> like, it's just, right. so, you know, yeah, yeah it's a different like, thing. Right. It's vibe, you know? It's, it's, that's the,
1: there you go. There, there's, like, the main difference. Like, it's me, Ingve is unlistenable. I, I can't listen to it at all. But, man, Nirvana, like, listen to how, listen to how good those songs are and they the simplest things in the world.
0: yeah. And the, and the feel and the performance, and the, and when you can get a sense of the person coming through the performance, I think that's so key. And yeah, you can hear, you know, Headfield's right hand and, uh, Lars is drumming. Like you can identify who those people are without hearing their voices, you know? You know,
1: when I, when I heard, uh, hardwired like the song hardwired for the first time, I was elated. With, you know, with joy, because I was like, man, that, that, like, it it sounds like a new recording, but if you, if you put it in like the Injustice for All recording or Master of Puppets recording, like it's right there, man. That, that feel is still right fucking there.
0: Yeah. I think that, um, Death Magnetic would have even, I mean, not that it wasn't well-received because it was, but I think that it would have been even better received were it a little wetter. You know, the, the records got that dry, sound to it, uh, which I, yeah. which I appreciate. And I mean, I love the record, but, um, the thing I like about hardwired more so is that I feel like it took that aggressiveness and that old school spirit of death magnetic and combined it with some of the warmth that they explored in the nineties and, you know, Hetfield double tracking his vocals again and having, you know, different sort of harmonies and stuff going on. And, uh, I, I just, yeah, I I thought hardwired really, nailed like what a modern metallica record can be yeah you know
1: i i don't know if you noticed but on hardwired also you know james doesn't do that thing as much like he you know how he does like the yeah uh, you know like and uh yeah, the, i don't want to do it the, I, you know, the, i'm not trying to
0: the bob the bob rock stuff where he was like you should improvise and loosen up which i think was good advice but then yeah it yeah. gets to a point where it's like okay maybe let's uh, tighten that up a little. <laughs> maybe it's a little maybe it's a little too much. Yeah.
1: yeah. And he and he reeled it in on that on this album. So yeah, that it, it made me very happy, I don't know.
0: Yeah, and I thought uh lyrically too hardwired is just some of his best stuff in a long time. I yeah. mean, I you know, I always dig his lyrics, you know, throughout and throughout and throughout, but Especially, especially that record though—it's got some real gems.
1: I was going to talk about Nirvana real quick. Like, I was listening yeah. to Nirvana recently with a friend. We were, we were drinking a little bit, and uh, we were both in awe. Like, kind of just like, how did they, how did they do this? Like, how did they take these songs are just—it sounds like he just shit them out, which I'm pretty, yeah. you know. Yeah. And and they're just so fucking good.
0: Yeah, it's like the Beatles or something, you know? Or it's just like, how did this endless, like, vibrant creativity in such a relatively short window of time come out of these people? Right. You know? Yeah. Exactly. It's insane. Um, I, I got to ask you, since you're a drummer, about the the San Anger Snare.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I it's not my favorite thing in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, Saint Anger, you know, it wasn't my favorite. You know, uh, the the song, the the main, the single, it it was good, and um, but that snare sound, you know, I didn't love it. I, you know, I, I you know, the, he's not all great all the time. I guess. So no, I, I wasn't. I was not a fan.
0: And I don't bring it up to pick on him. I just, I, I, I think there's a certain punk rock uh, iconoclism to having such an obnoxiously difficult to listen to snare sound.
1: I, I get what he was going for, but, you know, after a while in the album, it does, it is very upfront and very uh,
0: abrasive, I guess. It's abrasive. I, I got to spend some time with Steve Albini, um, gosh, probably almost like 15 years ago uh, when Sand Anger was still the current Metallica record. And mm-hmm. he, he was kind of obsessed with that terrible snare sound. And he was like, you know, they made like a three hour movie about the making of that record. And never once do they talk about the fucked up snare drum. <laughs> it's like, he's like, I want to see, see really, a
1: th- <laughs> really funny.
0: <laughs> he's like, I want to see a three hour movie about that. That's funny. Yeah, they should. That, that would be <laughs>
1: three hours. That, that would be, uh, I'm sure you can get three hours out of that conversation from people.
0: So dude, how many drummers go into the studio for the last 30 years or whatever and say, I want the Black Album drum sound?
1: I... I just did it. (laughs) There you go. I I just... Literally, I I produced an album recently, uh, this, this band called Rebelmatic, and I just kept on telling the dude that mixed it, like, you have to make it sound as much like the Black Album drums as you possibly can. Perfect. So yes that happens constantly i'm sure
0: the guys in blackville brides made a record with bob rock a few years ago and Cece, their drummer was telling me that you know with the first time he sat down with bob and bob was like so what are some of your like you know drumming wise what are some of your favorite sounds what are some records you like what do you what do you want to go for and Cece was just like um the black album <laughs> like yeah no, no. <laughs> that one that, that, re- that, that record you made <laughs> like can we do that yeah, it's just Man, such. And Brad Black Brides worked with Bob Rock, huh? Yeah, they did. They did a, a whole record with him, and they were and they were coming off of working with John Feldman, who's a very much like vocal-driven. You know, everything's kind of built around the chorus, and then you sort of put everything together. And and Bob Rock is much more riff and kick drum. And I think right. the uh, the two guitar players in that band and the drummer, especially, really loved that. Bob Rock experience because it was it was so different. You know, nothing against Feldman, but it was so different from right. the way they had made records before.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I, I would love that.
0: Yeah, he's uh, been trying. I've been trying to get him on the podcast, Bob Rock. <laughs> we we got we got connected over email, but it didn't get any further than that. How did uh, how did how did the conversation with Mike Cortland go? Oh, amazing! Um, and you know what's crazy is that. You know, we did like 90 minutes of talking about Metallica and extreme fandom. I mean, I, di- I didn't know this even before I started talking to him, but Dream Theater did all of Master of Puppets once. Like, as a did su- they really? as a surprise. Yeah, like a show, I want to say it was in Europe or something. Like, they just like came out and start with that first song. And people were like, oh, a Metallica cover. And then they go into the second song and then the third song. And people were like, wait. Are they playing this entire album? And that's what they did.
1: That's amazing. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, they're a massive influence on him. And there was some part of the podcast where we talked about, I don't know if it was St. Anger or Lulu or something, but, you know, in typical blabbermouth fashion, out of 90 minutes of him praising Metallica, they found one sentence that sounded like he was talking shit, and they made it a headline. Of so course. he was. Of course. He was super pissed about that. Not at me, but... um. Right. Yeah, yeah, he did a big Facebook post where he's like, I, he's like, I went on a, a Metallica podcast and talked about Metallica for an hour and a half and how much I love them. <laughs> they found this one fucking sentence. But uh, yeah, yeah, he he's great and and such a such a fan and obviously he's had such diverse experience playing with so many different people and he's like you too. He's a, a consummate defender and uh, you know flies the flag for Lars's. Musical contributions for what he does, yeah, man, behind the drum kit. Right that now. that
1: that that makes me like Mike Portnoy, you know, not like I, you know, just so much more. Actually, he's he's from. I live in Long Island. He he's from the town that I live in in Long Island, in Long Beach. Oh
0: well, wow, that's crazy. Have you guys ever met one another? We have not. No, but that's crazy. He's he's the nicest yeah. dude. I've had the occasion to. Uh, I host a Q&A series at the Musicians Institute in Hollywood, and he's done that with me a couple times. And um, when they did the Metal Allegiance records, I wrote the bios for those records. So I've gotten to know him a little bit over the last few years, and he's just he's just the sweetest dude. And, um, and you know what? He was the first one when I went to um, – uh the s and m shows the the recent ones in San Francisco he was the first one blowing up my phone asking me about the set list like before the show was even over like so what songs That's did they play What was awesome. the set list you know like he's a fan you know he's like he's like any of us it's awesome those those s
1: m i you know I haven't heard all of it, but uh they say it sounds sick
0: it was rad dude and the 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 big highlight for me was the oh they did anesthesia like the full album version like it was just a drum kit and like a you know cello player or whatever from the from the symphony doing anesthesia, and then Lars came out and kicked in with the drums, and uh, that was probably the biggest surprise of the evening, and I loved it. I also loved. I'm a big fan of Unforgiven Three from Death Magnetic, and they did a version of that that's just Hetfield and the symphony, um, no guitar, oh, no, no guitar even. It's like Frank Sinatra like style, like. It was just him standing there, no guitar, singing, and just the symphony. And that was incredible. I bet. I bet. Um, so, yeah. So, what are, digging in, you know, we've mentioned a few different songs. What yeah. are some of your favorite songs? Um, we could even go record by record if you want to, and you could give me, like, your favorite song or two from each record. Um, well you know uh
1: you know m- m- my favorite records are are, are Ride the Lightning Pup, you know all, all of, i i mean we, i i could actually pull up my spotify playlist right now and and, yeah. and,
0: Do and list off the the songs that i have cuz
1: they're, they're all my favorites that that i have on this playlist
0: nice i have my best of load and reload playlist that i give to all the people that left metallica in the 90s I'm like, listen. These are. I'm gonna put the best songs from the '90s in this playlist. Check it out. You,
1: you, you know what?
0: Can, when we're done with this, can you send me that? Because you know what? Like,
1: I'm not gonna lie. They, they, there was, you know, a time where I, I, I like I didn't listen to Load or Reload.
0: And that's and that's, and that's I, a lot of people, and I don't fault people for that. And I, I it was difficult for me at first, but then when I went back and back to it, you know, maybe a year or so after Load had been out. I got to tell you, two of my top, well, one of my top 10 Metallica songs and then one of my top 15 Metallica songs are on load. So, but they're like deep cuts. So yeah, I'll, I'll shoot that your way.
1: Awesome. All right. Well, I got this playlist up and first song I got here is Damage Inc. Nice. Um, I love this song. I, uh, it's just another one of those mind blowing songs and I I usually put it on before I I play because it gets me very excited and very pumped up.
0: And I love that in particular you're in Taking Back Sunday. And that you're like, I'm gonna get pumped right, up know, like damage incorporated. People don't know. You know, I have the I have the Injustice for All
1: uh 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 Lady uh what the hell is this? Doris. Justice Lady. Lady Justice Um Yeah. Yeah. Uh tattooed on me, like uh, yeah oh shit uh, yeah
0: you got to send me a picture of that yeah you know the band the band uh, calls her doris really yeah that was what well, was what they nicknamed the when they used when they did that tour and had this big statue that would fall apart yeah i always like knowing the band and crew names for mascots like you know the danzig skull they call bullwinkle behind the scenes um
1: but also you know what well, uh all right you know what do you, do you want to go uh album for album like you said?
0: Yeah, sure. I think it'd be fun.
1: All right, you want to start? Let's start with, uh, let's Kill start em Kill 'em
0: All. Yeah. What's your what's your go-to track on Kill 'em All? Hit hit
1: the I I say Seek and Destroy and Hit the Lights.
0: Nice. Hit the Lights being the Definitely. first Metallica song that the world ever heard.
1: Yeah. Um you know, and, and not I'm going to tell you, I, you know, Kill 'em All is is not the album that I go to. Uh right off the bat. Like I'm not, for some reason I I never say, Hey, I'm going to throw and kill them all. It's usually rise and lightning or master puppets or or, or justice. But, um, those are the two songs that I, I really do like the most on that album.
0: So let's move into ride the lightning.
1: Ride the lightning. Fight fire with fire. And, uh, fight for Whom The, the the bell tolls.
0: Yeah, man. For him, the bell tolls. That and creeping death are just you know they're live staples, and they have such like crowd participation moments. Yeah, I mean, there's really you can't fuck with anything on ride the lightning. Escape is kind of the bastard no. child that they didn't they didn't play for years and years and years. But I like escape also. I like it all. You know, and
1: and uh, trapped under ice, man. That that's just uh, you know. Uh, the thrash, the thrash is where I'm at. You know, I I love that shit. They're fast songs.
0: And you know, we've got two Dave Mustaine co-writes on Ride the Lightning. Yeah. You know, I I as a huge Megadeth fan, I I often like to point out to people that if, even if Megadeth had never happened, like Mustaine would be a success several times over because he's got publishing on Kill 'Em All and Ride the Lightning.
1: <laughs> I can. You know, I thought about that. I'm like. What yeah. are, what are those checks like? I can't even imagine. I think mean, it's like unfathomable, probably.
0: Yeah, I mean, ride the lightning is six times platinum in the U.S. <laughs> so, yeah, imagine you've got parts of two songs on that record. Like you're stoked. And
1: not only the U.S. Think about all over the world. Like yeah. you don't think about that. Like yeah, well, you think uh, a big band.
0: You... And also, you got to think about radio play because they're so big. And you got to think about, um, you know, I believe it's. Any 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 shows that are in the top 200 shows for the year, their the venues and promoters and all that are paying out to performers' rights associations for those. Um, you know the PROs get get paid for that. So yeah, when they're playing his co- rights, obviously their shows are always in the top 200 shows, <laughs> as he's getting paid from that too. I would imagine.
1: Hey, so I, I want to ask you, like, you know how uh, James Hetfield, you know, he went away again, right? Yeah. To, uh, yeah to rehab so were the
0: s&m shows after that i uh, know they were right before almost oh, right before. almost immediately before yeah okay he seemed good i mean i went to the first night and he you know seemed like he was having some problems with his in-ears maybe at the beginning of the set you know there were like a couple things that were noticeable if you were really studying that i'm sure by the time that comes out on the DVD or whatever. You won't see any of that. Um, but it didn't seem out of the ordinary or like, you know, like he was in rough shape or anything, but yeah, it was the announcement was really soon after that.
1: You know, one time um, I, I was going to say one time taking back Sunday, played a show in Japan and I, and I went out to a bar, like we were playing some festival and, you know, uh Metallica were headbinding and, and Kirk Hammett walked into the room. Like there was a special room for the bands, blah, blah, blah. And Kirk Hammett came in, And uh, I immediately just left because I I didn't, I didn't want to do anything. You know, like I was, I was pretty, I was pretty drunk already. And I was like, you know what, man, I'm still, I'm not, I I, I know that I should just leave right now before (laughs) I do anything to to make myself look silly. So that's, that's my one, that's my one moment
0: one of those risk versus reward situations like what what are the right, risks of right. me sticking like, around i'm, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> 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 i love it so master of puppets you already, you mentioned damage incorporated which of course i love i love how uh master of puppets Anna, and justice for all both start and end with super aggressive songs they yeah look, like, me too ended like that.
1: Uh, yeah. those might be my you know like two favorite the Eve, but uh uh, you know, um, damaging definitely and and battery. You know, you can't fuck with battery. Battery. You know, they didn't play battery the last time I saw them at, at Nassau Coliseum. I think they were like switching back and forth from Blackened to, to Battery. So I was pumped that they played Blackened, but um, man, I really want to come out and play that shit. But uh, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. got to be that's got to be my those two on that album, unbelievable.
0: And then yeah, you you mentioned. Dyers Eve. You know what? Um, let's pause actually, because in between Master of Puppets and Unjustice for All was the Garage Days re-revisited EP, the old five-song yeah. version. Um, yeah. So let's talk about Garage Days for a second. I, you know, like a lot of people, you know, I had, had overlapped with the punk scene, and I had a really good friend who was a punk kid at that time, who had told me about the Misfits, but I, I never really dove in until that Garage Days EP, and then seeing them wear mm-hmm. Misfits and Sam Hain shirts in every single photo, that's, that's when I really got into all those bands.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't either, and I'm not going to lie, I, I, I still didn't. Like, you know, all, all my friends are so pumped about the Misfits. You know, they just played scored guard, and so a bunch of people I know went. And, um, you know, it, they, weren't more, they were one of those bands, like, I didn't hear them when I was young. So I, I still have never really, I've never really gotten into them.
0: I've got bands like that. And I where, know that's not the coolest thing to say. No, no, I've, got, I've got bands like that personally that I just didn't vibe with at the right time. And then it sort of feels like right. it's too late now. <laughs> you know, like.
1: Right. Um, you know, yeah. yeah. If you show a 40-year-old minor threat for the first time, like, they're
0: usually not going to be that into them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, even the Bad Brains, who are one of my favorite bands of all time, I've tried to get people that miss them in their formative years into them now, and and it never works for whatever reason. Yeah, I know well, that's like, sacrilegious. You gotta
1: hear Eye Against Eye, man. You're gonna fucking love it, and you put it on, and like, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. They're like, what the fuck is happening?
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: totally. Right. Uh, do you have Do you have stuff from Garage Days that stood out for you?
1: Um. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that whole EP. Like, that's actually still the only tape that I still own is uh, is Garage Days. I have it up in my, you know, uh, next to my Lady Justice. Like, I have I have a counter of all my toys. Like, I have like, you know, uh, uh, starting lineup like Ricky Henderson and Don Mattingly, and I have like my my, my Metallica section. Nice. So yeah, uh, Garage <laughs> Days is um is up there. That tape. is, uh, you know. I, I probably, man, the weight.
0: Yeah. And, Killing joke. Uh,
1: yeah. And, I, you know, the whole, the, all five songs are so sick, but uh, maybe Helpless, Helpless and the Weight. I, I, I love those songs.
0: And they all work well together, obviously, because we heard them together like that. But I also like how they left in, You know, you hear Lars going like, keep it going, let it ring out. And like, you know, you hear, you hear like the the chatter and they're fucking around with the little maiden lick. And I loved that as a kid, it was so cool to get that window into like, you know, such a big time professional band to feel like you're in the room with them hanging out, just jamming on songs you love. Like it, it was really cool sort of like insider feeling with that record.
1: Think, think about how big that EP was and is and think of it they, they probably recorded that in an afternoon
0: yeah and i know that like newstead you know did a lot of like built the studio with like hammer and nails and shit like hanging up all the you know soundproofing and um like it was a total just like diy labor of love that whole thing and also newstead's um, first first record with the band
1: right you know i saw a uh newstead interview fairly recently i, I don't know when he did the interview but he was talking about like they they recorded uh justice in 4 days and he, you know he, what
0: so insane
1: yeah so can you can you imagine like think about the the millions that they've sold of that all over the world they did that shit in 4 days and he was saying like he said he was like i'm oh wow metallica records just like every other band that i know <laughs> like all the other like small <laughs> metal bands that no one knows of metallica does the same shit
0: yeah and they also mixed that record while they were still touring like flying home on off days and shit like that and you know they've said that like their ears were fried and you know that's where it was a big part of what led them to bob rock for the next record you
1: know what though man like that's another thing to talk about like people oh you know that's another thing to say oh the too bad the mix sucks so bad on that album and like I, i understand what they're saying but like to me, like the, the guitars on that album and the drums, they fucking they're brutal. Like the, the guitar, like that chug that they have, they never they never got that again, and I I kind of miss that
0: because there's something there's specific something, about know. it. Yeah, there's something to it for sure, and even Newstead. You know, famously, you know, people do their mixes like Justice for Jason and all that stuff. Even Newstead has said he doesn't want to go back and fuck with it. Like, it is what it is. It sounds how it sounds. And we all know and love the record as that picture of that moment in time, you know, and that's just, yeah. it's part of its mystique. It's part of its vibe, just how cold and like unforgiving the production sound is on it. Yeah, I think it it adds more than it takes away.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I love that. I love that album. It would be funny though if you heard, if they put out "Injustice for All" now with bass. Oh, what a funny thing!
0: Well, when they did the box set, uh, I think people were expecting that that would be the moment. But we, you know, we got a remaster, but we didn't get a remix. And I think they're, right. I think yeah. they're all Is of he, the same men- mentality that they just they don't want to fuck with it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it's good.
0: Uh, so black album. Curious for your take there. Uh,
1: well, injustice justice for all is blackened. And do and we already say this blackened and dire Eve, my two yeah. favorite songs yeah, yeah, on that. We did black album, you know, throughout the years, it, it changes. You, you know what I mean? So, uh, uh, maybe uh, nothing else matters. I love that song.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: And, uh, holier than thou.
0: I love every song on that record. As well, and I'm I'm the same way. It changes for me I, lately. I would say, of Wolf and Man and the God That Failed, which are like back to back on there, are, are my favorites. But of course, like Sad but True is undeniable, Unforgiven's, but undeniable. I mean every song on there is undeniable.
1: It's crazy to think about how many hits that they. Yes, yeah, Sad but True. It's also good, but yeah, it's definitely changed a lot. You know? And the,
0: and that's what I love uh, about these types of iconic bands, where you can discover and. And uh, immerse yourself in different little nooks and crannies of the catalog at different times in your life. It's kind of like the Beatles. You exactly. Know, sometimes yeah. I want
1: to hear "Revolver," and then sometimes I want to hear "Heavy Road." You know yep. what
0: I mean? Yeah. Yep. Sometimes, sometimes you want "Dark Side of the Moon." Sometimes you want I <laughs> "Wish You Were Here." <laughs> right. Um, um. So yeah, so we talked about load and reload. You were you kind of dropped out in that. Era, do you remember? Has anything come across your radar since? And I'm going to get you my load, reload, best of playlist. Anything crept in across your radar since where you were like, that's kind of cool.
1: Um, you know, I I, I gotta say, my my favorite, you know, spit out the bone and, and hardwired are, are are my two oh yeah favorite Italian yeah, yeah. songs of of the for the last twenty years, whatever it is like whatever that is that they did, like maybe the fact that it was just him, like James and Lars in the studio together, just them two writing it out. Um, But man, I, I, like, I love those two songs off hardwired. Uh,
0: What, what about, Um, what about death magnetic?
1: Death magnetic. You know, I I didn't love, I didn't love it. You know, for whatever reason, I just didn't, I, I I didn't like James's singing on it.
0: I've heard that as a complaint from people, uh, the vocals, not necessarily his performance, but the way they're tracked. And obviously the whole, like, you know, brick walled mastering debate with that record. There is a version of it that was mastered differently for, uh, guitar hero. And I actually, that's my go-to in my personal iTunes. If I'm going to listen to death magnetic these days, I'll usually pull that up. Um, I personally love the record, but I also understand that it's not, Uh, the favorite of a lot of fans for the reasons you you mentioned
1: musically musically like it's there you know um the riffs are fucking slamming and and the drums are just you know it's there it's just yeah it was the vocals for me that i i I just couldn't get down with
0: for me all nightmare long is the untouchable track on that album and you could drop that one anywhere anywhere across their catalog and it would fit in do you, do you have, do you have Spotify? I do.
1: So like, is that load and reload? Is that like a playlist that you have on, yeah, on will, Spotify? I'll
0: literally send you a link to it. I appreciate that. So, yeah. And we kind of talked about hardwired and you mentioned, you know, you don't hate sand anger, the song. Um, for, oh, me, no. for me, for no. me, I always tell people, there's a version of all within my hands that they did at one of those bridge school benefits. That's acoustic. And yeah. I love that version of that song. To me, that's the best thing that came out of the Sandagert record, other than the fact that it saved the band and kept them together. <laughs> that's the best thing that came out of it. But musically, you know, and I, and when I see them live, when they break out frantic, I don't hate it. But um, but that's not a record that I go back and listen to ever. So, what's your what's your thoughts on
1: uh, the the um the uh, album that they did with uh,
0: Lou Reed? This is my Boo-boo. this is my short version of my take on that, which is I understand why it happened. You know, they did this Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing where they played some Velvet Underground songs with Lou Reed. And then Lou Reed said we should make a record together sometime. And he was serious. And then it happened. What I wish they would have done is made that record, put it on a shelf, and then someday when they're a legacy act where, you know, God forbid, uh, a key member of the band is no longer there, no longer with us, or the band can't perform and tour anymore, and you're getting those, like, from the vaults box set kind of things, way down yeah. the road, somebody could have said, you know, Metallica did this whole, like, weird German opera art record with Lou Reed. I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah, it's fucking weird. Put it out in that context as a weird curiosity, and then, yeah. But for it to come out with, like, shows and promo and like a uh, an almost metallica release i think was was hard to swallow and i can appreciate the punk rockness that they they knew it was going to be difficult and challenging and upset people but even me a guy hosting a metallica podcast favorite band of all time i cannot make it all the way through lulu and i try about yeah, one, I about once about once a I year i try and it just it's impossible
1: I'll, I'll tell you what. I, I do the same. Like, so the guitar player I'm next Sunday is also, he, he's a pretty big Metallica fan. He, he, he likes Metallica a lot. And like, there's been times, and maybe about once a year, to where like, we'll, after a show, me and him will be out at a bar and he'll go to me and he'll like, yo, let's go back to the bus and listen to Lulu. Come on. Let's fucking do it. Maybe it'll hit this time and we'll try. And it's still, <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. But I, I swear, I feel like it's going to happen someday where we're going to go, yo, this is actually genius. We did, No one knew right?
0: <laughs> like you just keep waiting for it to click where you're going to be like, oh, now I get it. Right. And uh, yeah, it hasn't right. happened yet. <laughs> Maybe someday. Is that uh, John? That's the lead guitar player? John. Okay, yeah, uh, cool. yeah, that's John. I've interviewed him. Yeah, he, he's a big... Once upon a okay. time, I I interviewed Adam, uh, for Alternative Press, like at Riot Fest or something years ago. But, but yeah, I don't think I've ever met any of the rest of you guys. So I, I was definitely, you know, I'm a fan, and I was definitely psyched when you hit me up. And I was like, dude, the drummer from Taking Back Sunday loves Metallica. Fucking love it.
1: Yeah, as soon as I as soon as I uh, found out about uh you know the uh, podcast and I listened to, it, I was like, you know, man, I I gotta. Hit. I gotta, I gotta get in touch with this guy. At least you just put it out there, like, hey, I, I'm a diehard, you know, like I'm a diehard, so I'm here if you want to talk.
0: Fuck yeah! Um, so the last thing you mentioned your collectible shelf with your baseball guys uh-huh. and, and so on. What? Uh, See, so you got the Garage Days cassette up there. You've got Doris. Um, what else is up there? What's in your little Metallica collection?
1: You know, I, I had a, a, a Master of Puppets flag at one point and I still have the flag, but my wife made me take it down. She was like, <laughs> all right, <laughs> you know, maybe when I was like 35, 36, she was like, this, this has to.
0: <laughs> we got, we got a bend, we got to bend before. somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Compromise. Right.
1: So uh, that, <laughs> that had to come down. Um, I do have set lists, you know, uh, we next taking next Sunday it was on Warner brothers. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, got, I got into a show from somebody at Warner Brothers and then like, you know, I got backstage and it was, I didn't get to meet them, but, um, somebody, oh, it was, maybe it was their manager. Cause I, I saw their manager. I met their manager and I brought, uh, a, a couple of CD booklets. I was like, yo, could you please get me signed? He signed for me. He was like, no, I can't, but here. And he gave me a bunch of set lists. So I have a set list, you know, a real nerd, really it's a real, surreal, it's like my little nerd corner yeah Metallica.
0: then it's all about the nerd corner i love it right. um and if you yeah. haven't seen them i definitely recommend those box sets they've been doing they've done "Kill 'Em all ride the lightning master puppet and justice for all um so i assume the black album one's coming next year and uh they're just fucking phenomenal i mean like hardcover book inside and all sorts of vinyl and live shows and interviews and you know and of course the records remastered and they're pretty fucking outstanding. Yeah. It doesn't really get much better when it comes to a box set reissue than those. And, you know, uh, one thing we didn't even talk about, you know, speaking of record labels and all that, they own their own masters. They got their masters back, and, yeah, it's all coming out on their own record label. It's pretty insane.
1: It's it's crazy. Like, I saw that, like, they have their own vinyl pressing plant, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's crazy. I was I was looking through all my records the other day, and I realized, I'm like, why do I have three vinyls of Injustice for All and two of Ride the Light? Like, and I realized, I'm like, man, any anytime if I'm away, I, just, I can't help but buy it again.
0: Because
1: it, just looks <laughs> yeah. so, it looks so good to me. Like, I, I just have to get the vinyl again.
0: 100%. Man, I gotta, I gotta, yeah. Dude, I've, I found very recently uh, during a trip to Seattle, I found a copy of killing is my business the first megadeth record that has a sticker on it that says you know featuring x metallica member Dave mustaine and apparently that's super collectible because the metallica camp i don't know if it's their record label or whoever but someone shut that down and they it's only like a very early early copies of that first megadeth record have that sticker on it so it's pretty psyched, no way pretty psyched to have that
1: yeah, that's awesome.
0: So yeah, man, well dude, this has been killer.
1: Yo, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it as well. It was it was fun.